Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. This is Perrin Desports, and I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider, and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you've found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everyone to episode 33 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Gosh, 33 episodes, where is the year gone? This one is, we're titling it, De Novo Planning, Strategy, and Metrics. We love the De Novo growth model here at Polaris. We're gonna unpack some of the valuable uh, metrics and key understandings to making that a success on today's show. And for those of you who are interested in potentially expanding your group through a De Novo strategy, a cold start, this is the episode for you. And for those that have traditionally acquired practices only, I may give you a couple of new things to think about. Suffice to say, get your pad and pen ready, brew some coffee, let's get going. We're off and running on the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. Once again, thanks everybody for joining me on the show today. I teased in the opening that DeWalker and I are huge fans of the de novo model. You heard me talk on a prior po- podcasts that probably 80 to 90% of the industry is growing through acquisition. And I think that's probably about the same for our clients as well. But really, we love the de novo model when executed properly. And I think the interesting thing is that mine and DeWalker's background, uh, I come from the world of distribution. He comes from the world of healthcare lending. We really got to see a lot of de novos done and done well to understand how to make a success out of this. I'll tell you the experience that DeWalker draws upon uh, specifically is uh, through the the overall success of Pacific Dental Services back in the day when he was um, uh, VP of sales for East West Bank. And and he could see the way Pacific uh, executed at an enterprise level with predominantly a de novo strategy. My background in distribution with Patterson was was less at an enterprise level, but at the same time, I did see a number of people growing um, their uh, entrepreneurial groups through uh, cold starts versus acquisitions and doing it quite well. So this is a a model that um, DeWalker and I love and, and have a lot of affection for, for a number of reasons. So first and foremost, most I think the general sentiment, at least, is that most entrepreneurs want to grow their group through acquisition because the thought process is, well, it's an existing business that I'm going to acquire. It has patience. It has revenue. It has staff. It has hopefully some level of profitability beyond the debt service. How much can I screw it up? You know, it seems like there's less downside risk to that. And I I get the mindset. The other thing is there are a lot of practices out there for sale that, you know, are fairly readily available. So you can make a good case that it's a faster ramp for growth in terms of speed to market. I get all of that. I think the things that 
people really don't uh, uh, understand when they go into an acquisition-based strategy uh, is the aspects of uh, how valuable an integration team is to, to making the, uh, meaning an integration team that's part of your leadership team to make the new practice, um, you know, stick to your existing group the aspects of change management and the way change management happens uh, for the practice being acquired. Uh, employees typically don't react well to that. You have to manage change. You have to manage egos. You have to manage that, oh, that's not how we did it um, under the, the prior owner. We, we don't like doing things that way. People are resistant to change. And, and that's um, a part that will erode value pretty quickly. And then in today's world, we are seeing more and more issues with what I call culture clashes. And, and culture will erode value faster, arguably, than anything else. You, you've heard the adage from a, uh, um, the, the dean of the business school at the University of Southern California, Peter Drucker, who was a, uh, he's passed away a number of years ago now, but he was really one of those uh, seminal figures in the ac world of academia around business, at least. And he's got a quote that says, culture eats strategy for lunch. And, and that really, it boils it down to its essence. Culture will undo um, a number of things quickly, and usually it catches people unawares. And I think when you start thinking about some of those neg potential negative impacts of an acquisition-based growth strategy, you don't have any of that in a de novo context. Now, the challenge to a de novo is that you got to figure out the location. You got to take your, you know, be patient with how long it takes to build a location, and then you've got to to run the risk of a marketing campaign to generate patient number one to walk through the door to start generating revenue. So there is a period of time where you are upside down on a cash flow standpoint. Um, and that makes people understandably um, a little bit nervous. That being said, the acquisition price of a, a practice to buy is typically multiple fold larger than a de novo is. And if you can solve for a faster ramp for patient onboarding, you can outgrow the cost of a de novo at a much faster rate than you can even uh, an acquisition with none of the culture clash issue, issues and none of the change management issues around uh, process and procedure. And it can be a, a really, really healthy opportunity to grow the business, grow it quickly, and grow it profitably. So let's dig into some of how that all works, at least at a high level, and some of the things um, to, to keep in mind and to consider if you're going to, um, you know, uh, maybe consider this for part of your growth strategy in uh, 2022 or beyond. So first things first, site selection is is really key. And when you think about this, you want to think about it from like a fast food or a retail type of an aspect. Well, what the heck does that mean? Well, we all know that when you think about Walmart or Target or Costco on a big box retailer, or we think about grocery stores on a more local chain, or we think about um, McDonald's or Wendy's or Chick-fil-A or Starbucks or things like that, 
from a food service standpoint, all of those businesses that I just mentioned are highly dependent upon site selection. I mean, that is their business. It's no mystery as to why a number of enterprise level groups are hiring people from those worlds that I just mentioned as part of their business development team for the de novo strategy. The principles that are in place to locate a Chick-fil-A or a Starbucks or a, a McDonald's or any of the other big box retailers are the same as it should be for a healthcare practice, in this case, a dental practice. Site selection is critically important, and that's things like you know, where the, the, the overall market is growing uh, in the, the local area, its traffic counts, its ingress and egress as it relates to accessibility of um, being able to enter that uh, healthcare practice and, and how you do that from like a traffic flow standpoint. So there are all these things uh, that go into ultimately influencing the success or failure of a business. And so demographics and site selection are critically important. So when we talk about demographics, specifically what we mean are the objective criteria of a local marketplace. I you know, speak about this occasionally from 2.2 uh, kids, a dog, a cat, and a white picket fence. All right. So that's objective criteria. When you, when you get a demographic study of a local area, it's, you know, what's the percentage of the population that's married? What's the average age uh, along the distribution curve? Um, how many kids do they have? What's the average household income? What's their average education level, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. So demographics are, are objective criteria um, that uh, allow you to kind of see into that local marketplace. And it also um, does end up detailing something to do with competition. So when we talk about demographics in a given area, uh, and you're going to put a, a de novo general dentistry practice on a given street corner, for example, how many other general dentistry practices are in and around that practice from a, a two-mile radius, five-mile radius, 10-mile radius, or whatever it may be from a concentration standpoint? That's objective criteria that you can see on a map or that you can discern through um, metrics, at least. Psychographics are completely, or are, they're not completely different, but they're, they're a, they build off of demographics, I'll say. Psychographics are more subjective and it's more buyer behavior. So what we identified in a demographic report of average education level and income level then from a psychographic standpoint, how do these people make buying decisions? Where do they spend their money? What's their, their motivation to spend money? How, how important do they hold healthcare, honestly? Um, where do they spend their money? What's the best means to reach them from a marketing context? Do they read publications or the newspaper or a, um, a local print magazine? Do they uh, consume information over the web? Um, do they listen to the radio? And if so, what station and, and what time of day? Uh, do they watch TV and what are the shows and, and, and all that kind of stuff? You know, what, what civic groups are they members of, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So now, once we understand the demographics, 
of the area that we want to land in, we can start to understand a little bit about what motivates these people. And if we understand what motivates them and how to access them, we can build a marketing campaign to reach them. Okay, so now we're starting to solve for that new patient generation aspect um, from from a, a, mark, a coordinated marketing plan, um, and we know where to, to focus our efforts and our resources on that. So site selection, demographics, and psychographics all need to go sort of hand in glove. They're all part of the same sort of mix, if you will, to evaluating potential success in a given area. The other thing about this is you know, evaluating the, the competition. So I mentioned in demographics, you're going to find out you know, how many other general dentistry practices are in and around that given area. Well, okay, that's great. There may be 10 general dentistry practices within a five-mile loop or something. But who are they? What are they? I mean, are these all dilapidated buildings with old equipment and, you know, competition that's frankly not that strong? And, and you know, they're, they're older practitioners that, that, you know, think about marketing in the context of a yellow page ad. You know, that, that to me doesn't keep me up at night. Or on the other hand, is this an enterprise level DSO with a, um, a lot of marketing um, resources behind it and a lot of track record of success and every, everything else that would be worthy competition. So just to push a, to, to put a, a push a pin on a map to say, uh, here's another general dentistry practice is, is only part of it. You really need to evaluate who is it, what is it, what do they do, and is this worthy competition for what we're, we're trying to develop? So that's, that's kind of your site selection in a box, if you will. Um, demographic sites, uh, demographic psychographics, and evaluating the competition. Moving on from that, one of the things that gets um, people into trouble if they're going to pursue a de novo strategy is that a de, for for it to be successful and for it to be relatively fast paced. I mean, however you want to define fast paced. You really need to have a box defined. And what I mean by a box is it's a, you know, your de novo model is based off of some standard amount of square feet, so, same number of operatories, same uh, dual entry, uh, you know, same cabinetry layout, same equipment setup, um, you know, all of all of those like standardized um, selections to make one practice feel like another, to feel like a third, look and feel. And, and, and the reason that's critically important, there are a multitude of reasons. But for one, if you're building the same box nine times out of 10, then you can have the same contractor and same architect and same equipment company on the layout and, and everything like that. So you can budget more accurately and maybe even more importantly, you can feel um, somewhat confident about how long it's going to take to build each one of them. You know, this is uh, a wash, rinse, repeat type of a, a scenario. It also goes without saying that 
you know, when you build a, um, when you pursue a de novo strategy, you may hire new staff to work in there and you may move some of your move or promote some of your existing staff into leadership positions in that new location. So you may cross pollinate it. And when you do that, you'd like to think that, um, you know, the businesses, the practices are all laid out the same. So if you want, um, you know, an assistant to bounce, for example, to bounce between uh, four practices on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, those practices are all laid out the same. It's all set up the same. And he or she can, can easily walk in and pick right up in the second location every bit as much as what they left in the first location. So there's kind of a standard operating procedure, for lack of a better term, not only to the build up and build out, but also the layout of the business. And that, that makes things easier to manage in terms of cost, makes things easier to manage in terms of timelines before opening, makes things easier to manage in terms of moving people around going forward. So a standardized type of a box is really important um, for, um, uh, you know, for, for scale and, and repeat successes. The thing that gets people into, into trouble is really more um, the gourmet restaurant scenario that we like to, to coin the phrase. So if every new location is a choose your own adventure and it's like a gourmet restaurant that's completely different from the prior one, uh, you know, and it's all a, a unique scenario, there can be some value in that um, at, at, a, at more of a high end of the market type of a spa type scenario, I would say. But it's a lot harder to scale uh, with repeat effectiveness and you're kind of it, everyone is a new adventure. So I think you're probably, if you're going to pursue a de novo, you're really better off, uh, we say, building a box and kind of sticking to it from a, a standard operating procedure standpoint. You know, the, the other piece to this is you need to be very clear about what your growth model is um, for the business at an enterprise level, but also at a a, a, a new practice by new practice level. You need to understand what metrics matter. There are a lot of them, obviously, but there, there are a couple of fundamentals to creating success. So I just mentioned standardization on build out and everything. You, you would like for a, a new location build out, you'd like to have a budget for it and you'd like to have a high degree of confidence that you're going to stick within that budget. And that way, you know, forecasting your your debt leverage is a little bit more consistent um, and, and to a degree easier, I would say. So if you're able to do that and you're, you know what your, your build out and equipment costs are, now you can start to understand that net equity break even number. Um, and we talked about this on prior podcasts, but you know the net equity break even number um, is, is really important because that, as long as you're creating equity on balance sheet and you can forecast um, that that type of a, an equity break-even context at the end of a 12-month period, the opportunity to continue um, your lending relationship and, and borrowing money to build more and more new locations, um, your lender, uh, you know, has confidence in your ability to execute essentially. So that's why when we say net equity break even, it's different from operational break even, but it's incredibly important from a lending um, relationship context. Usually, just kind of rule of thumb, net equity break even 
is about two times the initial investment. And, you know, I, I mentioned that um, a de novo strategy places a premium on your marketing execution. Um, and part of that is knowing how much money you need to spend in a marketing context to reach net equity break even. So there are a couple of metrics you've heard us talk about in marketing that are that are key here. One is cost to acquire a customer or cost to acquire a new patient. And the other is new patient value, or sometimes it's referred to as uh, first year patient value, meaning how much are they going to typically spend in their first year in the practice. Um, so between cost to acquire a patient and new patient value, if you know both of those, and can draw upon them from your prior um, practices, then you can more accurately forecast your marketing spend. So let me see if I can go through this. And I know numbers are hard to follow on a podcast, but I'm going to I'm going to try to simplify this and see if y'all can follow my train of thought here. So let's say that the build out and equipment costs um, is three hundred thousand dollars, just to pick a round number. Um, so your net equity break even is probably going to occur around two times that number or $600,000 in revenue. All right. So there's the first number we're trying to solve for at the end of a 12 month period. We need to be, um, on a, uh, on a run rate to generate, or excuse me, we need to generate $600,000 in revenue at the end of our first 12 months. If we know a new patient value, and let's say it's a thousand dollars, which is a good number to use on an industry average context. So let's say the average new patient is worth about a thousand dollars in the first year in our practice, and we know the revenue number we need to hit is six hundred thousand. When you divide six hundred thousand by a thousand dollars per new patient, you get six hundred new patients. Well, that's the number of new patients we need in the first year uh, that the business is open. If we know our cost to acquire a patient is $200 and we need to generate 600 new patients, now we can calculate our total marketing spend and the total marketing spend would be about $120,000 or $10,000 a month. So, when we can when we understand what our budget is and we can reliably you know have confidence that we're going to be in that budget then we can extrapolate the revenue number we need to hit by the end of the first year to keep our funding window open from our bank and we know our new patient value and our cost to acquire a patient now we can start to solve for our marketing spend and here's where we're able to put the equation together from beginning to end to be able to shoot more with a rifle than a shotgun blast. And we know what we need to achieve in that first year in the business for a de novo. So hopefully this type of context gives you a little more, uh, you know, things to, to sink your teeth into and, and gives you a little bit of insight into frankly, why DeWalker and I love the de novo model so much. If you know what you're trying to solve for, and if you have your secret sauce in place, this can be really a wonderful strategy for growth and one that shouldn't be nearly as daunting as people make it out to be. Again, 
if you know your numbers and you and you can solve for all that, start to understand why we love this model as much as we do. So hopefully that uh, that makes some sense, and hopefully that kind of um, creates some clarity around some of the metrics and the way that we uh, that we, we think about the de novo model. Uh, obviously, I hope that you find this to be educational and informative. If you got questions on it, feel free to drop me a line. You can always reach me at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Stick around. We'll be right back with some additional thoughts and to wrap up the show. So before we wrap things up on today's show, um, I wanted to uh, put something on your radar. If you if you did get a lot out of this episode uh, of the podcast, um, I, I want to put something on your radar. If you're a, if you're considering de novo, or if you are historically a de novo approach and and need more clarity on it and and a little bit more tactical execution, I, I mentioned uh, in prior episodes. And we had sent out a press release about um, this masterclass concept um, that we're uh, going to be doing on a monthly basis in 2022. The first one that you heard about was mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations. And, and those uh, MANA classes are going to be January and February um, for those that are basing their growth strategy around um, acquiring other practices. For those that are um, approaching growth from a de novo model, we have built the bones of a second masterclass, and we're going to call it de novo execution. Um, And what I touched on and kind of gave some clarity around on today's episode, we've built basically a two-day class about de novo execution. So we're going to dig deep into site selection, demographics, and the competition. I've verbalized some of it. We're going to show you how to do that, what it looks like, and really how to size it up. We'll talk through utilization. That could be everything from CAD drawing and operatory considerations to that build your box scenario, like I mentioned, budgeting before. We're going to spend a lot of time on lease terms and and conditions. This is a huge one. If you are going to have a de novo strategy, um, your lease terms and conditions can make or break the success of it talk about contractor relationships and and really how to work and, and uh, deal with contractors in terms of a contractual arrangement. Obviously, marketing and metrics is going to be a primary component to that. We'll have a marketing company with us to go through a number of those things. Talk about project management, launch team, pre and post opening. And then obviously, we're going to spend some time around modeling and net equity break-even analysis, operational uh, break-even and profit and loss, things like that. And then uh, to wrap things up, we'll uh, spend some time talking through a strategy for uh, for the coming year and coming years beyond that. De novo is something that uh, DeWalker and I are really passionate about, and I know it's it's a smaller segment of the audience. But for you guys and gals out there um, uh, that are that are pursuing a de novo strategy, and even those that are contemplating it, this two day masterclass will be a real deep dive into a lot of detail. And I promise you, you're going to walk away um, with a, a lot of things to help su- help you execute on that strategy. So we um, we scoped out the content for that masterclass, and I'm going to go ahead and put it on your radar for March 10th and 11th here in Charlotte. You might just want to circle those dates 
And I would even encourage you to send me an email if you're interested. We haven't even we haven't even built the registration page or anything else on this yet. But if you know you'd like to come, um, go ahead and send me an email. I'll get you on a list. Probably going to be limited to 10 people in the class. We like to keep the class small because it's a super intense class and we want it to be highly interactive. Um, and, and, you know, getting beyond about 10 uh, gets a little bit, I don't know, problematic about that, I would say. So if you're interested, uh, feel free to reach out to me or to Walker um, and be happy to put you on a list. If you got questions about the class subject matter or anything else, feel free to reach out to me as well. But for those that are really dialing in on DeNovo, this, uh, this two-day masterclass is probably right in your wheelhouse. And again, it's March 10th and 11th here in Charlotte. So um, we're looking forward to it. That's the second of uh, the masterclass series. There are going to be more uh, topics uh, coming up and we'll release those in, in due time. But I think the masterclass concept is something that's going to be great for us and for our audience in 2022. So hopefully you can take advantage of at least one of them uh, next year. So thanks so much for joining me again on the, the show today. I, I do appreciate it again. We value your compliments, uh, your input, your questions, um, and certainly your ratings. If you have a second, um, click on your, your um, uh, podcast provider, Apple uh, Podcast, or TuneIn, Stitcher, um, or Google Play, or any of those Google Podcasts. And, and give us a rating. It does help with SEO. And otherwise, we appreciate all the compliments that y'all share on those formats too. So um, I look forward to seeing you on an upcoming show. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We will see you on the next episode.